Well, hello. Hey, this is 27-year-old Kiss coming at you. Ooh, birthday boy. There it is. We are recording on my birthday. Um, my beard has gone gray. Do you have any gray hairs? I do not. I have one that grows out of my left temple at just a straight line out. I see it now. You can see it? Whoa. Yeah, it's pretty wild. That's uh, not even where hair is supposed to be. <laughs> no, 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 no. So for it to be gray, so that is an obscure, odd hair. Wow. For a while, I would pull it out, but now I'm just letting it shine. In my 27-year-old truth, what we do here, besides talk about uh, aging, <laughs> Ergo, a podcast on aging, is showcase the folks reshaping the culture of our city for the more equitable and the more creative. I'm Kiss. I'm Dang. Men. <laughs> Can't decide. Don't leave the men off. I'm Damon. That was my great-grandma's name, Min. And if you look at my Instagram at Ergo Kiss, I actually posted a picture of her this week. She's killing the romper game. <laughs> this is a photo from like 1940. Romper game out of this world. <laughs> I love how we were like, yeah, let's just do like a concise intro <laughs> and like get people prepared to listen to what we're about to do. <laughs> and we're talking about mid 20th century rompers. <laughs> that's the golden age of rompers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's what it was like risque. Uh huh. Now a romper is like a cool one like, piece. Little, yeah, it's like, what? <laughs> um, before Me we get and to I. <laughs> How dare you? Crazy. Before we get to our great guest, which we talk Take about. That fashion Nova. We talk about no <laughs> rompers throughout this conversation. So that's out of the way. Let's get our community announcements out of the way. First up, the good folks over at Trap House, which has been on 79th and Ashland and then closed a few months ago. That's Michonne Ali's shop and community space. They're opening their second concept store. It is now 744 East 79th. Ah, 79th Cottage? Absolutely. Okay. They've been doing the open, the People Say Open Mic all year, and they had to close that spot, but they opened over here. All right. And so there's going to be a bunch of great performers, including Ergo Alamani Jordan on that. That's Friday, December 21st. The doors open at 5, and the showcase is at 7. And then Shout the store- Brittany Carner. She's on there. We haven't had her on, but, but we gotta, much yeah. love. And, you know, beyond just that day, the store will be open. So if you happen to be in that neck of the woods, pop in, take a look. Mm-hmm. And then also the 21st, Ergo alum Femdot has his headlining show at Lincoln Hall. The mechanical pencil superstar himself. Who is borderline rap famous now. And it's the, all thanks to the Ergo Bump. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on that bill are fellow Ergo alums, L.A. Van Gogh and Shawnee Dez. So that's Friday from 7.30 to 10.30 at Lincoln Hall, and then... Um, I have tickets to that. I hope I end up going. <laughs> you are the only person I know who <laughs> the fact that you bought a ticket doesn't guarantee your attendance. Yeah, it's because I'm not one person either, so it's it's a, it's a group effort. It's, uh, I am not one person. <laughs> so once you, once you live in partnership, there's a lot of other dynamics you uh-huh. to figure out. We got to both get out the door. What does guarantee attendance for Damon Williams? Uh, me, the event being in your house? Yeah, or me having a responsibility. Mm-hmm. Here's one that you don't have a responsibility at, but I think will be a great show. That is a, that is a great show. Ergo alum Via Rosa is part of the duo Drama. They've been on tour all over the world for the mm-hmm. past year. Mm-hmm. And they're coming back home also at Lincoln Hall on Saturday. It's a good weekend at Lincoln Hall. Okay. 9 p.m. to midnight. They do a great live show. I saw them play Sleeping Village about a year ago. Um, but definitely check that out. And then just... Uh, have a happy, safe, wonderful, healing holiday. Yeah, that's what's up. We're anti-Christmas. We're happy holiday. I'm even borderline on the holiday. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I don't have a reason to be anti. <laughs> I'm pro-break. 
There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to your break. Hope, to, you, hope you get a break in your life or whatever. And speaking doing. of breaks, our guest today is a ah. DJ. <laughs> he is also the founder and executive director of the amazing organization, uh, Free Write Literary Arts, which teaches all kinds of things inside of Chicago's juvenile detention facility uh, and does a whole bunch of other things. Anything you want to add to the bio? Uh, nah, man. Shout out to Ryan. He's a he's a great guy. He's tall. He has long hair and a, a nice fashion sense. So Ryan Kiesling, our guest <laughs> on this week's Ergo. Much love. Get into it. So we we like to start the show um, with the same two part question pretty much every week, which is in this time, in this moment, in this season, how's the world treating you? How are you treating the world? I'm gonna start. I'm gonna flip the question a little bit and get Ooh. into them in a in, in a in a in a different way. Cause I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start by how I'm treating myself. Okay. Because um, because it, I'm I'm in a particular place in uh, in my personal life and my career and um, uh, just a lot of different trajectories and a lot of different work practices that I've had and, mm -hmm. and like emotional and spiritual and and intellectual practices that I've had, where it's important for me to 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 um, fall back. Hmm. And to see what has happened over the past 20 years um, that I've been putting in these particular kinds of work mm -hmm. that I eventually I imagine we'll have a conversation about. Mm -hmm. But um, to be vague and just to be to be uh, real honest about it, um, I'm in the, I'm trying to be in reflection mode, and that is in 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 uh, in service of that. I'm saying no to things, hmm. um, and I'm saying uh, I'm saying I'm saying let me train you up over here. So you can take my place doing this, and I'm saying uh, I'm just not going to come to that. And, and and you have all the tools already to handle that. Yeah. I don't I don't need to be there for that. So it's really about like I'm I'm just trying to take care of myself right now and to and to figure out like where I stand because like I've been in such a whirlwind of of work and 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 movement and mm -hmm. and activity and and relationship building mm -hmm. and community building and and movement building and I don't know just like. I'm pulling. I'm taking a step back. So I feel mm -hmm. like I feel like that's a contribution not only to myself as a as a person and just mm -hmm. as like somebody who's looking to uh, take stock of what has has been beautiful and difficult and uh, and informative for for the past you know however many years, mm -hmm. so that I can move into the next phase and do it effectively and take only what I need from this last phase with me and leave the rest behind. Um, so I guess that's that's a that's something that I that. You know, the, that, that's I'm treating the world that way, and the world's treating me that way. So mm -hmm. by by treating the world that way, being like, being like, um, you know, I can only do so much right now, and it's going to be this, this, and this. Actually, that let me let me take yeah, one, let me take one this <laughs> off of that. Let me just say this and this because I'm trying to only do a few, do, do maybe do throw a few, in fewer things. Take out one of those and just do a this and a that. Yeah, this mm -hmm. and, and and some of that. <laughs> just um, a little and a therefore for good measure. Yeah, yeah, and and some butts and some hands. Uh, that the butts and hands always happen. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think just that approach to the way I treat myself informs how the world treats me. So mm -hmm. that's I guess that's what I'm saying. Like mm -hmm. the way that I'm looking at my life and the way I'm looking at my own emotional stability and my uh, intellectual growth and my, my spiritual healing and the relationships that I have, I feel like when I put that work into myself, then the world treats me different hmm. and it treats me better. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm at that threshold where I'm really trying to work out um, how to treat myself well in order for the world to give back in, the, in, a, in a way that's, that's nourishing rather than uh, depleting. Mm -hmm. For sure. The things that you're taking a step back from, uh, are there particular pieces of the work 
that were feeling uh, particularly draining or feeling like since you've been doing it for 18 years, you were really excited to kind of let go of? I mean, all of it, really. Um, it's just a matter of transitioning other people into those roles. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not that any of it is particularly um, something more than it was or less than it was, you know, throughout that that you know that duration. Um, but it's more that it's just like not my time mm-hmm. to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I could do it. I could keep doing it, but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be as close to my heart as it was when I first started it or when I was in the middle of it. So I really see myself as just needing to pass it on to the to the younger folks who are coming up who are the entire reason for doing a lot of the work that I've been doing. Mm-hmm. So to to have that transition happen, that's where the like that's where the life is now. The life isn't in me just like being in the middle of it and loving it and just right. eating it up and and like, you know, just just like burning hot, like white hot the whole time. Mm-hmm. It's about like pulling back and giving other people the opportunity to do that to show that what was created over the past many years is actually real and other people can step into it. Is is that responsible transition that I hear you talking about? Is that something you are figuring out how to do kind of like inherently or instinctively or have you built like process and like have an analysis to it? Because I'm asking because what you are articulating is kind of like the highest ideal of most work, right? Like of organizing, of of any type of like cultural lineage or legacy, most people would say that they are trying to pass things on beyond them. Uh, And I don't know if we know how to do that quite yet. We like kind of hope that it just happens naturally. I'm just trying to take these podcasts to the grave. You know, know, just us. (laughs) Yeah, with me. And so like, did you, you know, and, and, and we keep saying like, we'll pull out what the work is, but did you find a moment of like, oh, now I know how to do this. Did you explicitly teach yourself how to teach other people what you learned, or has hmm. it just been through relationship and through practice and kind of like it, it's it's both. taking a shot at it? It's both. Uh, it's 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 certainly like in, intentionally saying we have to set out like a secession plan for certain things, mm-hmm. and then thinking about like okay, what does that actually look like? And then of course it's about listening to the people that are coming into the place that you were in. I'm often trying to just make space. Like I've created context and I have a series of tools that are at Mm -hmm. everyone's disposal. My problem sometimes is that I just, I just throw people in that context and with those tools (laughs) and I'm like, there you go. (laughs) So the feedback that I've gotten from, from people who are coming up, uh, you know, like after me who are getting ready to take over these roles is that like, Hey, wait, we need a little more structure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So between like, between like knowing that I have to step away, like the instinct of like, okay, I got to keep moving. And the sort of the structural uh, approach of knowing that a, a plan has to be in place, like those things are important. But then there's the actually like, you got to listen to what people actually need to feel supported in order mm-hmm. to, to feel confident in that position. So mm-hmm. like the young folks that are coming up through um, through Free Right Sound and Vision particularly mm-hmm. have been like, yo, that was fun, and but like this was hard. This was hard. This was hard, and we really need you to support us in these particular ways mm-hmm. at this particular juncture. It's it's just I guess just listening to them and, and knowing yeah. what their specific feedback is, and responding to that. Uh, that's a super important component of of that uh, overall succession plan. You know? mm-hmm. So l- let's get the description and not the, <laughs> yeah, I was wondering. Sure. not the tagline for like I think. When you we really talk, we're drawing out the suspense. Uh uh-huh. All right. But yeah. what who, is this, he do? who is this dude? <laughs> <laughs> He's su- a succession plan for something. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I like to talk to people who have organizations that they run and ask them not the version for the like the funders or the the pitch, but in how you think of it and how you embody what you do. What is it that you do? What is it that you've built? Okay. Um, well, I was thinking about, I, I actually kind of wanted to ask you all the same question as to why you invited me here and what you wanted to talk about. Uh, because, because I, and I asked that, I, I think I have you. an idea, yeah, because, yeah, yeah. but I also, I do a lot of things. Yeah. And, and I also, I want to call attention to the fact that several things that I do in my life converge to create sort of this, uh, this like, I don't know, like the the overall mm-hmm. my overall work, like mm-hmm. my overall work is a, is a is a convergence of of a few different disciplines that I've mm-hmm. spent a lot of time with. What are they? So, Can you identify? Sure. So, well, let's let's talk initially about free write arts and mm-hmm. literacy, right? Because it's a it's a good good place to understand how the convergences function. So, free write is a is a literacy and arts organization that um, since two thousand has worked inside of the Cook County Juvenile Detention Center, mm-hmm. doing one on one literacy tutoring, um, creative writing visual art, uh, music production and music technology, publishing, public performance, exhibition, um, and all kinds of opportunities to, to proliferate the work that the students are doing uh, from inside the Cook County Juvenile Detention Center. So it's, it's been like, it's been based in that, in that facility specifically um, inside uh, since 2000 and has hmm. uh, over, over time, you know, we've, we developed a lot of community partners and of course, like we're all part of a myself and my colleagues who work with Freerider all very intricate, in, intricately uh, entwined in the the cultural fabric and the art, like the arts programming fabric, and just the community fabric in in Chicago, which is rich and beautiful. So our focus inside has been um, unique in that we just we just carved out space for ourselves in this in this really um, nasty place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it's been something that has been a contribution to the broader discourse about juvenile incarceration and prison abolition because we have been holding it down for so long mm-hmm. inside. Mm-hmm. Like people come in, like other other folks want to come in and out, or they want to know what's happening there. Or they value the experience of young people who are in there. Uh, but it's been free right that has helped those voices of the young people to make it to places where they can influence the the broader discourse about mm-hmm. uh, you know systems of violence and uh, prison industrial complex and other things that you know like divesting from public schools and from community yeah. like our students are covering all these all this ground with their in their art mm-hmm. so our space that we make inside is one where that just helps to amplify those voices so that's, I mean, that's one thing, and that's the, you know, that's just the brief description of what free write is. On the inside, we've since come to do a lot of community work ourselves, in addition to collaborating with our partners. But I also am a, a DJ and, and mm-hmm. producer and yeah. live sound technician, and mm-hmm. been doing that for just as long, <laughs> um, if not actually longer. So um, having the opportunity to, I'm, I'm also a trained reading specialist and uh, have a master's in education, which got me uh, into the position okay. of, of starting free write at, okay. at all. Uh, as a as a reading tutor, um, and then the arts component came out of that one on one tutoring hmm. relationship because we were essentially just trying to generate authentic texts mm-hmm. that you know these young struggling readers who have been told they were dumb by teachers from the beginning just because they weren't connecting with the material they were given or they had some sort of difficulty that was not made time to address or because school is dumb. Yeah, school is dumb as hell. Um, <laughs> Take and, that. School yeah. is dumb. <laughs> Take yeah. that, teachers. Yeah. Sorry, teachers. No, shout out to teachers. Sorry. Yeah, I guess. But, but F school. Yeah. Yeah. Teacher, <laughs> teachers. Why did, uh, don't don't get played, teachers, is all I'm saying. Did like, you like don't, school? Don't play yourself. Uh I was good at school. That's but did you like asked. school? 
<laughs> I I I I used school mm-hmm. to get where I needed to go. Okay, that was just a, a side note. We'll come back to the the bio, but so so yeah. it sounds like all of that work, all the the kind of cultural work, and emerge kind of emerged out of that one on one space. Yeah, it did. So th- those were the three. Would you say you said like the the production and DJing the organizational space, and then the reading? Yeah, those three things are convergence mm-hmm. uh, that ultimately. Um, out of that literacy component, out of that like one-on-one relationship came these authentic stories. Like mm. these stories, basically the students would dictate to me because we'd have a stack of these books and they're like these little ass kid books and they're mm. like, they're like, you know, some of them would read all those books and they'd be like, next. Right. Um, but, you know, they're 14-year-old kids in jail and some of them are looking at like these books that have big stupid looking characters on the mm. front and they're like, no. Mm. Um, it just it re-tra- re-traumatizes them around like, you know how they were initially disaffected from from print literacy. Hmm. So we just needed words. So we would just like I would just ask them to tell me stories, and we would write down, write letters to grandma, or write write uh, write down what they have for lunch, or write a response to some picture that we saw online, or anything. We just needed words because <laughs> they're fourteen and fifteen, and they have incredible an incredible capacity to communicate verbally but they not wouldn't necessarily know what that all looked like on paper mm-hmm. so if you're accessing you're trying to access three main components when you're reading right decoding fluency and comprehension okay. so good readers do all those things at once um Did, what's the distinction between fluency and comprehension well fluency or define them all that's sure just, so just... so decoding decoding <laughs> is not decoding is not is like understanding what the, the code of of mm-hmm. of of language of mm-hmm. knowing what the letters how the letters work and how they work together. This is the alphabet. This is the word. Yeah, this is the space, yeah, this is the and then the, and all this, all the syntax that comes after that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, fluency is obviously the the ability to read smoothly and quickly and and uh, with expression. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. And then comprehension is you it, understand what it means. Yeah, you're, you're 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 understanding it, and you, you're doing that by by sort of the main components of of comprehension are summarizing and predicting Mm -hmm. Hmm. so you're always asking yourself do i get it do i get it what just happened what just happened like this for good readers like this is happening without even thinking Mm -hmm. um and then you get to a point where like what's going to happen next and you use your you bring your prior knowledge to this text and you think about what what you know about the world and what you're learning from the text and you're like okay well based on those two you know pieces of data like i'm going to figure like i'm going to make a prediction as to what happens hmm. and then summarizing and predicting just continue like you get to the place where you where you your prediction either came true or didn't come true mm-hmm. and like okay well that wasn't what i thought or yeah that's exactly what i thought time to make a new prediction mm-hmm. based on this new information so those three components um this is fascinating it's just a framework that i never even thought of yeah personally it's weird cuz like we talked about on the show i i was you know Privilege, if you want to call it that, but definitely had the access up to private education my entire life. My mom was like real big on um, keeping the, the young black boy out of the public school system that targets young black boys. Mm. Um, but I realized it probably I don't I don't I don't want to be extreme, but maybe anywhere between nineteen or twenty one is really when I became literate. So like I obviously knew how to read. Like I got into school, I went to college, but I wasn't like in that sense of like real comprehension and like the way you just d- broke down literacy, even as a reading, per- mm-hmm. like a, a technically literate person, I didn't feel literate until like after I was done with school. Almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's you didn't interesting. feel literate when, you, when it was the comprehension looking, looking part back that was missing? It, yeah. Looking back on it, like the idea of reading was something that can send, send me to sleep knowing that I'm taking way longer on a page than I should. Like the idea of like, mm-hmm. oh, like let's just read this and talk about it in class. 
was not a thing until I was almost like a senior. I was like, oh, hmm. okay, I can kind of like do this now. And it wasn't like I like I felt illiterate. It right. just was like, oh, I don't like reading. Right. Hmm. Then I realized once I got good at it, like, oh, it's because I wasn't good at it. Why well, I didn't like it. It's like, yeah, you don't like push-ups because you haven't done any fucking push-ups. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and also like, um, you know, another sort of like asset-based approach that we would take as, as tutors is like, you know, reading, uh, I want to delineate between reading and, and print literacy. Ah, so there's a lot great. of ways to read and a lot of ways to understand what's happening in the world. And, mm -hmm. and But print literacy is a particular type of reading, right? Mm. So there's never like, there like the young people that we were working with in the detention center had no problem like reading your face when you walked in right. the room. <laughs> right. Or reading, reading a situation, reading a room. Yeah. They like that. They, uh, they are mad sharp at that and are experts at that as yeah, are, yeah. as are most young people. Yeah, yeah, but like yeah. these, these kids particularly just because of the situation that mm -hmm. they're in and because of the survival skills that they have, you know, they That's can true. figure it out so fast. You do have to be a voracious room reader in that situation. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Cause it's your life is dependent on it in yeah. a lot of ways, you know? Um, so <laughs> yeah, I don't know, like taking that asset, asset based approach and just being like, Look, you all have, have you all have skills that most adults don't have that most people will never have because of sort of the choices that you've been making and the situations that you've been in and the, and the lifestyles that you that you have found yourself in. Um, so you got skills and you're ahead of the game in so many ways. But we're gonna we're just gonna take some time with this print literacy, and we're gonna use your stories as a means of accessing your own literacy. Because mm -hmm, if you mm -hmm. if you if you need to, if you have words and you don't know what they look like on the page, then well let's let's start there. So let's use your words. Let's use yeah. your stories, and that's where the creative writing uh, component and the publishing component came out of free write. It's so powerful. It's one of those things that seems so simple and <laughs> makes so much sense. Yeah. Were there other examples of people using that model before y'all were that you knew of? I mean, I think that it's been it's been an effective model for a long time. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know exactly anyone who was doing it the way we were doing it, mm -hmm. but it's it's a it's a very intuitive way to do it. We just were lucky enough to have have like the space to create that. Like, yeah. I was basically given, you know, and this is a huge function of my privilege and my access. Um, I was basically given the given the support um, to go into this place. The, you know, develop the curriculum, go mm -hmm. into this place, have have a little corner in, in a in a teacher's classroom, to just like practice this stuff and make yeah. this stuff up. So I wasn't given like a, a mandate to increase reading levels, or mm -hmm. you know, that's exactly why I also you know going through my master's in education. I was like looking at what my prospects as a teacher. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I'm sorry, that's not me. So um, I can't just you know, I'm not going to just go be. You know, I'm not going to either go be this like suburban teacher who's going to try to make the money, mm -hmm. and I'm not going to be like this this like pariah who's going into the into the <laughs> like you know like the, you know look. It's I'm not going to help these kids find Forrester. The, the it's just not going to no, happen. Yeah. No, it's not, and I'm not going to be responsible for like. I like, I like we went slightly different directions, uh -huh. but it's the same movie. <laughs> same movie. It's like that. <laughs> so you knew what you didn't want to be doing, but why? And, and it, it doesn't have to be like the. The perfect answer, but re like, what was it for you that made you want to go into that building? Well, I was, I was sitting doing my work study, trying to finish my degree and hating it. Mm -hmm. And uh, a professor of mine, my a couple of my professors that I went to Northwestern uh, knew this, and one of them got an email about this opportunity to basically design and, and implement this one-on-one -on -one tutoring program. So mm -hmm. she hooked me up, and I'm like, that's it. 
So I went and I went and did it. Um, I actually lied to the people and told them that I had my master's already and that I was ready to work when I really hadn't. I finished my coursework, but the thesis was, had yet to happen. Um, they didn't check diploma IDs at the door? I guess not. I mean, they just saw white male and didn't ask any questions. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just got into it and, uh, and stuck with it and was given the opportunity to, to develop it as I saw fit and, mm. you know, started building relationships with folks in the detention center and the students were, were excited about it. So it really started to speak for itself. So the, yeah. like the, the institutional type of barrier or like pushback that I would assume when I hear the story, it sounds like it wasn't there. Was it always kind of like an open door or accepting in that way? It was, I mean, it was always a, tr a trifling relationship with administration, but there was a, there was something that was um, particularly uh, crucial to the way that that facility was being run at the time that we started, which mm. was that it wasn't being run at all. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I mean that uh, it had, um, if you look back into the late nineties and look at um, some news bits about the Cook County Juvenile Detention Center, you'll see that it, w it w had been sued uh, for the conditions and for the overcrowding mm -hmm. and for the lack of staff training and for the abuse that was happening consistently um, and was was beginning to become to be in, in federal receivership or federal oversight. So at the time, they were just trying to get people in to do stuff that would make them look good, mm -hmm. which if you know anything about free right, you know that we are not about making that jail pretty. We are about mm -hmm. shutting it down. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a joke, mm -hmm. and it's not anything that we will not we will hide. You know, mm -hmm. but at the time, like I didn't really, I had that I had that sensibility. You know, I was connected to like the critical resistance crew and in, in out of the, the Bay Area, and mm -hmm. was yeah. was coming becoming aware of like what what like my role in in like prison abolition could be. Uh, Shout out as, critical as an educator. resistance. Can you like just for a few sentences? Kind sure. Of like yeah, critical resistance was one of the first uh, first like organizing crews that were they were they were they were getting together around issues of prison abolition mm -hmm. and um, were act they were the, the most vocal and the most active around that issue. So they um, they were they they were bringing up issues of prison labor and they were connecting like the, connecting like uh, the prison industrial complex to the economy. Mm -hmm. um, they really helped me to see like how the how the prison system is connected to really everyone's life. Right, mm -hmm. every decision that we make. I'm just looking around in this room right now and I'm seeing this. There's a naked juice right here, right, mm -hmm. distributed by Coca-Cola. Probably some some like very specific connection to to yeah. prison labor, right? Like right. there really isn't much that you that you can that where where you can't really go anywhere or make mm -hmm. a choice with your money every day without mm -hmm. in some way encountering uh, somebody who is invested in either prison labor, private prisons. Uh, you know, like it's it's a very it's well, very intense. The, the part that makes blind. it really damning is because we only think about like oh they're like making license plate or like the orange is new black like making underwear, which absolutely does happen. Like you know traditional production, but. Every publicly traded corporation, especially like the big ones like Dow Jones as mm -hmm. Coca-Colas, are on, all institutionally owned by the financial sector in majority. And that is where the real investment is in terms of like the right. insurance and the financing. So even if, you know, the, 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 the pineapple and the spirulina for the green naked <laughs> juice isn't made in a prison, the, the, like, the institutional capital that allows Coca-Cola to run is deeply invested into prison and militarism yeah like a way we couldn't even really compute yeah yeah it, it's it's really just the foundation of this country so it it, it makes a lot of sense that mm. and that's and and like i guess critical resistance helped me to begin to 
flesh out that 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 analysis and to really begin to understand my role as an educator in the facility like that to not just be like you know helping young people to read better which is revolutionary in and of itself mm-hmm. um but to to be able to connect as the organ as free right as an organization grew and as our relationships with community partners and other activists and and advocates uh grew we started to understand like our role um within the the bigger picture of mm-hmm. of of prison abolition and uh you know that like divesting from systems of violence and investing in community-based solutions so that's, that's so dope like critical resistance definitely like the the mother or auntie of this mm-hmm. current, yeah, like thrust lineage, yeah. Of, yeah. of that so like any of the contemporary literature they probably had a hand in or somebody who was connected to critical resistance as you were had a hand in like what prepared you know what has been happening over the last couple of years to Miriam emerge. definitely shouted them out in the second episode. She, okay, all yeah, right, yeah, that's yeah, documented yeah. already. All right, for sure. Um, can so I, you, can I just take one quick side just to mm-hmm, stay on what we were just talking mm-hmm. about? It's interesting. So, as all of the you know migrant detention and refugee detention at the border has been happening, uh, that's private. So this is something that I've been thinking about a lot, and I think not that it's different from the past, but I think I just have the lens for it that I didn't have in the past, but I'm seeing, like when I see the photos of these cages and these camps and these tents and all the, like this is a huge amount of money mm-hmm. that somebody's making off of this and it's completely privatized. Yeah, yeah, it's all contract work. Like the, the there are, and they're not publicly traded for the most part, mm-hmm. they're private companies that are getting all these contracts. So like, Publicly traded doesn't mean public in the sense of government owned. No, no, I know it means, that, but a lot of these don't. It means okay. for profit. But at least then shareholders have some. But you know, okay. there's like the media, like a lot of these. The same way the Trump organization has no shareholders. Right, it's literally right, right, just right, the five right, of them. Right, right. So when when I see these and I think about like, you know, the 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 great like liberal reaction of like, oh, it's a tragedy, and we don't understand like they just, this just doesn't need to happen, and then you, you can live in the realm of the emotional, and then thinking about what are the tangible like motivating factors there are a lot of people who are looking at this and not just in the way that we think about war makes people money um but like these particular initiatives there are like new companies being born out of mm-hmm, this you know mm-hmm. yeah. and those companies are not going to go away. like it's a little bit of a can't put toothpaste back in the tube type situation mm-hmm. in that regard sorry i'm a little all over the place no it's cool i hear, yeah, I hear yeah. you the shit is wild so I got a lot of gas to give you. I got to gas you up, but we're not going to do it quite yet. I want to go back to a thing that you said that is really important that y'all are not, that free right does not exist in the juvenile detention center to make it look pretty. You believe that that place should not exist. Mm -hmm. Correct. And I know that you say that outwardly. Do they really understand that? Well, uh, I guess going back to the, to the inception of it, um, you know that wasn't something that we were saying when we first <laughs> started. You know, it, it, it uh, and it actually it wasn't language that I had at, on my on on the tip of my tongue when right, I first started. So right. this is mm-hmm. you know part of my my growth uh, in my thinking around this has come clearly you know from working in there mm-hmm. and from mm-hmm. like just being more and more involved and getting more and more to the point of why I actually want to do this, uh, which mm-hmm. is to chip away from from in that system from both inside and out. Like mm-hmm. let's let's work both inside and outside and be chipping away at those walls. I want to shout out some community partners and also uh, point to the function of the publishing that we were doing and the mm-hmm. public uh, mm-hmm. exhibition of our student yeah. work. Cause it was there, it was the student voices that really got out into the community and started to influence how people thought about kids in detention mm-hmm. and un- started to understand their needs better. So mm-hmm. um, I want to shout out uh, fly yeah. and, uh, and Darius and, um, 
their Audi Home campaign, which mm-hmm. start, sort of came up around, I guess, around like around 2006, 2007, 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, they were outside. I met Darius outside the detention center as I was walking in with boxes of anthologies from our students mm-hmm. that we had just had published. And he's at, he's in the he's in the lobby of this facility, like try, and and getting st- getting staff to like sign these petitions to shut it down, <laughs> and which was amazing. I'm like, I love you. Let's let's, <laughs> let's work. I'm going in. Like, let me help you out. So, um, so it was it was relationships like that that uh-huh. sort of helped us to figure out, uh, you know, the next step and where our where our where our how we could get our student voices into the conversation that would help to change the way this this system functions to the point where it doesn't function anymore anymore and more at all at all. At all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually like, I think the conversation has just changed. Like you'll get, you get, you'll get administrators now saying at the detention center talking about how that's, this place shouldn't exist. You mm. know, you get high level politicians saying like Tony Preckwinkle's like, mm. what, not whatever, like whatever saying like we should, you know, the jail, the Cook County jail should be closed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like there are, pe- there are people who are rallying around these issues. I don't really know if they know what that means, yeah. but they know that it is expensive yeah. And they know that they don't have the money for it, so they got to figure something out. But they also they understand like there's the like the disproportionate contact and, and how how it's affecting like black black and brown communities and destroying this city. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. the people like people are seeing that. Like yeah. it's just real. You it's know, ninety nine percent youth of color. Yeah, 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 uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Like there used to be fire drills in this in the detention center. I love telling this story. There used to be fire drills, and there are two gyms. There's a north gym and a south gym. And at the peak, this place was like, there were like 600 kids in this place. There are about 220 kids in there right now. But there are like 600 kids in this place. And for whatever reason, they decided that for fire drills, they would take the north side of the school area to the, to the north gym and the south side of the school area, school area to the south gym. They even segregated inside <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, well, we can talk about the movement yeah. and control and, and how that affects everybody. But uh, so they would get, the, the, you know, the kids would show up and line up around the, the perimeter of the gym with the staff all in the middle. And teachers would be there too, and I'd be down there walking with my students. And I would always use that opportunity to to count the white kids. Mm-hmm. And there were at any given point, there were maybe two white kids max mm. in which is in, even in 1%. that yeah, like not even one percent. Like it's it's all black and Latino, you know. Like it's and and what we need to realize is that it's not the Chicago juvenile detention center it's cook county yeah so, so cook county is so much bigger than this so to think about <laughs> that's the, right. the entire county well you well, know. well what happened get, like the south suburbs get get pulled from so like markham and harvey are mm-hmm. like a right. are like really heavily represented and those are black those are black suburbs so right. um yeah it's it doesn't just because yeah just because it's the county doesn't mean it's pulling from from oak park you know? right yeah. right but but the, but you know but it could be like you could think though, like, oh, that is the population it could yeah it could yeah. yeah so it's really not a function of like of like the geography know, like, yeah, yeah. yeah it's not a geographic issue it's what else have you seen change inside you mentioned like administrators and politicians talking about it differently but in either the the operations of it or in like who is in that building what have you seen change over the last 18 years well they they used to it used to be like it used to just be a building full of patronage hires because it's a county. It was a county, you know. It's a, it was a it's a county facility. Mm-hmm. Um, used to be under the the Cook County Board, administ- Cook County Board administered it. So it'd be the kind of place where somebody's uncle's cousin who got fired from streets and sanitation for being <laughs> for like drinking mm-hmm. got a job at the detention center because mm-hmm. you know they just shuffled the deck right mm-hmm. so the patronage hires used to be pretty pretty common in like 
people were not qualified or even had it had any interest in in like if knowing you're too anything drunk about for kids. streets and sanitation you shouldn't be in charge of children <laughs> there where do you even start with, <laughs> where do you even start with that rationale yeah. you know like it was a yeah. dumping ground for idiots basically mm-hmm. um and i saw like a lot of like i saw a lot of physical abuse uh mm-hmm. i saw like i witnessed it like it happened in the hallways where staff was like cornering cornering a kid and beating on him like i saw this little kid get just like smashed by this giant old man who was just like the mean old man you know um so you know like that doesn't happen anymore exactly like it it still can happen but it doesn't happen to the degree that it used to um it's a little more organized in its approach it's a lot more prison-like Huh. Um, it's a lot more stru- it's a like the the security culture is a lot more structured mm-hmm. and the communication and chain of command is a lot more articulated. So I'm not saying like a clear, it's not that it's better. It's yeah, just it's more organized. Yes, like the the um, the way things are the way thing the way people are are, are hemmed up is is different. It's mm-hmm. not you know it, it doesn't. I haven't seen anybody any young person get like beat down by a staff in a long time but they might be beat down by the fact that they can't interact with people or they like it's a different it's a a different kind of beat down whereas whereas previously you might be at a mean babysitters now you're in prison Mm. where where you're Mm -hmm. where you as a young person are subject to the 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 uh, movement and control scenario that only prisons can offer where they're very it's very rigid um and Mm. structured and militaristic yeah it's you know and it's all under the name of like safety you know Mm -hmm. like safety and security is first priority in a place like this you know Mm -hmm. arts programming is not a priority (laughs) um so yeah i mean those are different things and 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 clearly it's not better now it's just different now how you think about all those kids in that rigid structure and then you think about charter schools building like a similar rigidity in terms not that it's equivalent but i'm thinking about the like single line everything needs to be just so you can't talk this way you can't move this way you can't look this way you can't do like just the number of young people living in that in that restrictive harm is just it's a lot of kids yeah and (laughs) and and to look i mean to look at the you know education is it comes from an industrial model Mm -hmm. right you know education is like the structure of education is is a function of 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 industry and yeah. the industrial industrial revolution and right. and the way that the this country was was a manufacturing culture for so long mm-hmm. so it is it is the same thing it is the same right. thing like that's that's just you know it's like the next phase because we're not really that cult, we're not that economy say, anymore that's what but, i was gonna say is what job is that preparing people for other it, than being criminalized it, I, I don't know yeah. yeah yeah so there's no way we can like pull out all of the stories of it would be fair to say thousands of young people you've interacted with. Definitely. In this, yeah. In like we, we, right? we estimate. But who's your favorite over. though? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, I can, I can, I can talk to, I mean, I have, there have been some amazing moments with, uh-huh. with, with students. Actually, but, I'm more interested in who's your least favorite. I think that'd be better. <laughs> Just kidding. You don't have to do that. Dude, this one dude. No. <laughs> <laughs> We're calling you out on the podcast. <laughs> young person experiencing incarceration. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> That's really, really well, at the center of our methodology. Well, it's call out culture. You know, what's funny though, is that you really establish, like you establish a community and mm-hmm. you, you ask any of our students to come into our classroom. We actually, we have de- a dedicated classroom in the facility and we're the only outside hmm. uh, arts partner, particularly that has any dedicated space in that facility. And they, when, when young people come in, they're like, this doesn't feel like jail and this doesn't feel like school. Um, clearly they snap, they're snapped. They get snapped out of that real quick. And there are other cues that, that will remind them of that mm-hmm. at any given moment while inside, mm-hmm. but they'll really have that, that sensation. And there's community created. Hmm. And we have, a, we, we create communities of artists in our classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
I don't know. There is like a you get to see different sides of of these young people than you would if you went into their school classroom. You know, like ten minutes after they left our classroom. So right. I don't know. It's 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 an interesting function of of the space that we create and the pedagogy that we that we put forth. And it also helps to facilitate um, relationships with young people after they leave Mm -hmm. because they're like, all right, I'm out. What are we doing now? Yeah, let's do let's do more. And that's, you know, sound and vision, which is something that Ah. has been interacting, interacting with with breathing room uh, frequently. And what is that for those who don't know what sound and vision is um, and how it operates and what I've experienced, you know, through our actual relationship at, at breathing room and, you know, building a studio is more or less what we dream of when we talk about we want to like be active in this work right like when we want to get past uh theory and ideology like when you say praxis right like Mm -hmm. it is i think one of the best examples i've ever heard of and i feel really fortunate to have been able to like be intimately engaging it so yeah just the 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 the, like what it is the 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 impetus of like how it came about and like what you've been learning through this next step because it's really powerful great um free right sound and vision is uh, another another confluence here. It's like another extension of my practice and the needs of the students that we encounter, mm-hmm. and a function of encountering them when they come out and they're they're looking at us like, "That was great. What's next?" You know, like let, how do we how do we continue working together? So, Sound and Vision is basically a um, a uh, sound reinforcement and event production company that uh, uh, hires free write alumni. Who hmm. that's just the, the the term that we apply to mm-hmm. young people who were with us inside who are now out ready to reconnect um so we do we do live sound for events we set up dj equipment speakers microphones um and provide general production support for large-scale events Mm -hmm. um additionally uh, like like at breathing room we have uh the ability to build some like pretty intimate diy studio situations Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. are that are good for getting ideas down and good for good for even professional recording environments it's been an opportunity to to reengage alumni so that they are building on the skills that they learned inside. Because we're teaching DJing, we're teaching music tech, uh, we're teaching recording and and mixing and mastering, composing um, in our classroom in the detention center. Mm-hmm. And they get out, and it's time to make some money doing that, mm-hmm. and it's time to up those up those skills. So, mm-hmm. Sound and Vision is a paid opportunity um, to build on those skills and also connect to the broader to the to the artistic community mm-hmm. in Chicago that we have been telling people like we tell young people inside I'm like you know this is just we're doing this here but really like what's what's real and what's big is wa- is out there waiting for you right mm-hmm. now so you're producing here you're learning here like literally when you get out this is here for you this community is waiting for you you're making mm-hmm. by, by by doing this work inside you're making space for yourself outside mm-hmm. yeah so sound of vision is kind of that follow through and it brings all of my personal skills of, um, you know, just all the DJ and live sound and all that yeah. nerd stuff that I've been doing forever. <laughs> and these the sound systems that we've been, you know, like cobbling together here and there. We know actually they're pretty they're pretty pro. We're not cobbling shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it just takes advantage of all that and and offers this. Uh, you know, it's another way to connect to our community partners. It's another way to like. Uh, it's, it steps toward careers in the arts industry and yeah. further education for the young people who are participating. They're getting paid real money. Mm-hmm. Um, there's apprentice level work. There's there's production assistant level work. There's lead technician level work. We're building in some office and, and administrative work to it because mm-hmm. that's what I'm one of those things I'm trying to step away from doing. Mm-hmm. So, and additionally, like we've we've uh, 
you know, we prioritize hiring our alumni who come who are coming out, but we're realizing that we have a, a bigger opportunity to help to create um, uh, employment equity and racial equity in the arts industry with this. Because right. you go to an event and you know you go to a concert, you go to a, a gallery, whatever. Any of these technicians are white dudes. Mm-hmm. They're white male, probably smelling like cigarette smoke and wearing black shirts, right? With a bunch of clips on their waist. And many of them <laughs> are really bad at their jobs. And not all of them, but most sound guys are really bad at doing sound. That's just a shots fired at Chicago sound yeah, guys. That, but it, that's just yeah. true in general. Like that's how many right. things have you played where it's really not like, I'm not great at it, but it's not that hard. And mostly it just comes from not paying attention. That's true, and that's that's unacceptable. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not professional, and that's a fun like that's a function of whiteness and privilege. You can just show up to a job and not pay attention and still have that job. Yeah, you yeah. know, we're like coming for you, sound guys. That's no, we actually are coming for you. You hear that yeah. sound? White male sound dudes. Yeah, and as a as a white male sound dude, like I'm trying to use my access to this <laughs> right. to create that space and then to get the hell out of the way. So, if someone wanted to work with y'all for to do production for an event, how could they do that? Uh, fwsoundvision.com is our okay. website. Yeah. Uh, you can also go to Free Write Chicago. That's F R E E W R I T E Chicago.org and connect with me and see more about the staff. Sound of Vision has sort of come up as this entrepreneurial approach. Yeah. So we have our have its it has its own website and mm-hmm. it's a more of a dot com than a dot org. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you can connect. Like I would, I'd say, go to our website or social social media, Free Write Shy or FW Sound Vision on Instagram. And, and yeah, that uh, wasn't Facebook. a wrap up. I just think like no, that no. in particular. Like people need. I, I just know for me as a producer, like I'm, I always need people who can do that work and have like the the tools and the technical specifications to do all that. So that's that's great. I, that's not a question. That's just yeah. Great. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So. When did you? Um, what was your origin into that? To that work? Into because that's the part. How'd you that, become a sound nerd? That's the part that like has been. I've been kind of seeing more because um, I understood the free write box, if we want to call it mm-hmm. a box. Uh, but the, but the DJing and the production right. and the sound. What, what was your entry point in that? And, and when did you figure out? Oh, this actually overlaps. Uh, well, I mean, I started. I started making. I started doing radio shows when I was nine in my bedroom. Ah, okay. I, I have you got I some had, tapes. I I, I do. I do. <laughs> I do. I, what I I had a. Uh, this is the long story. So <laughs> since you asked, but before, um, <laughs> but I had a. Uh, so my 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 father had a had like a recorder, like a mm-hmm. tape recorder that was just like for like dictation really and on my 10th birthday i guess i was 10 on my 10th birthday i got a walkman mm. it was not a walkman it was some bootleg walkman <laughs> that only had play and fast forward guy. It, a scroll, yeah, a scroll yeah. gentleman yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a sankyo or something like that uh but it only had play and fast forward and i had started to get some tapes because i love music and i started to insist on having music and and like i was mowing yards or whatever and and getting like an a in class or something i go get like a whatever lionel richie tape <laughs> eddie grant 45 was my at electric avenue was my first record okay um the first one you asked for the first one you bought with your own money the first one i bought with my own money what was the first one you asked your parents for Probably some like Disney Peter Pan stuff or something. Okay. Like that. I don't know. Like I remember having that stuff, like the little acid, floppy acetate stuff mm-hmm. that came when the 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 you'd, it would make a tone and you'd turn the page in the book. Definitely had some <laughs> of those on my, about, yeah. on my on my Fisher Price turntable too. Okay. Um, those cut really well. No, nah, they don't. Yeah. They, you'll burn them up <laughs> trying to touch them like that. Uh, but but yeah, like I guess you know, like having a long history with production and uh, like a, a sincere engagement with music and having it. 
I grew up in central Indiana, like like Cornfield, Indiana. Mm-hmm. And I used music as a means of connecting with people who were not around me, you know. <laughs> um, I was I grew up around a lot of white people um, and that was just what what I that's like I but I wanted more than that, I guess. Mm-hmm. I went and I was and I felt like I could get more than that from just listening to music and you know obviously reading books and eventually being able to travel and meet non-white people and leaving Indiana alone. But let's stay in Indiana for a second. <laughs> oh, uh, no, let's not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not for good. Oh, sir, that's sir, rare... no, not for good. Just, let's, let's visit. <laughs> that's a rare phrase. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's, let's stay in I'm Indiana. not ready to leave. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, give, what give was the time. What was the town? Small town, medium-sized town? I, I grew up family? outside of Muncie, Indiana. Okay. Um, my, my father's family were farmers, um, and my mother's family were bricklayers. Okay. Um, my father worked uh, as a civilian employee. This is another interesting sort of confluence that brought me to being a teacher in, in detention is my father was a civilian employee working for the Indiana State Police as a hmm. motor carrier enforcer. So he was he would check trucks, like he would make sure that trucks weren't overweight as they were driving through the state. Mm. Um, and my mother was a, was a public school teacher. So hmm. here I am, a, a teacher that works inside of a jail, right? Yeah. Um, that, that idea of a civilian working for the police department is so telling for me in terms of like my abolitionist vision the fact that that needs to be said so if this person is civilian what are the rest of these guys <laughs> uh sworn officers yeah yeah what the fuck does that mean that means that means they're police right and what the fuck does that mean that's, <laughs> not, that's, that's my point <laughs> like, like, like let's name what we're it, saying yeah you're know. not a regular yeah, you've nah. just gone into the family business is what we're saying <laughs> that's that seems to be the case yeah it seems to be the case so but i, yeah. I guess just just to back just to like fast forward mm-hmm. um I continued my like audio production, making pause tapes and, mm-hmm. and, you know, putting together music for like my graduation and you stuff like that. You certainly have all the nomenclature done. <laughs> well, pause I, tapes. I mean, I've, I, I have, I, I am a nerd about it. So <laughs> I definitely, I definitely am, am, uh, as much a nerd of the language as I am of the, of the practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in, in, in college I started, uh, I got some turn, me and, me and four friends, uh, went went in on some turntables and we all lived together our senior year. Uh, and I bet for, your neighbors hated you. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes they did. Um, they they didn't really they didn't really. Were like you still it, in Indiana? For that college? was in Indiana. I went to DePaul uh, okay. in Greencastle, Indiana, for college. And uh, junior year, uh, before my before the, the summer between my junior and senior year, I lived in New York and took classes at NYU in order to be able to take fewer classes my senior year at DePaul. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, like me and my buddy who. I was living with in New York, and three of my friends who were in Chicago, four of them, uh, we all started buying records. So I was buying records in in New York, Satellite, Liquid Sky, Breakbeat Science. You know, it's like mm. dr- jungle, jungle and drum and bass is my, mm-hmm. was my entryway into DJing and, and hmm. remains a consistent thread of my sound. Um, but we came back together to school and had turntables and just started. We've been we've been raving and and partying and mm-hmm. throwing parties and whatever. Um, but that's when it became real. We got a radio show. Um, what was the name of the show? Uh, and what was your radio DJ name? Uh, well, I've I've gone through two names. Um, my initial, the name of the show was based by the pound was the crew, and okay. that is something that's a crew that that kind of <laughs> it kind of rings out in Chicago because of the because of its its commitment to, to jungle and drum and bass and a long like a, a like an eight year weekly uh, drum and bass night at at a, what was big called Big Wig is now. I don't even know what, whatever that dump is on Division Street so, so far. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, like, so Bass by the Pound was the name of the show. It was a 
Friday morning show. We we would get we get there at like eleven a.m. and and really. So just you're like, writing you're writing your comfort zone with this yeah, eleven well, a.m. recording. Yeah, That's and I, I'm 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 certain that I'm way less hungover today than I was for those shows. But uh, but yeah, anyway, like we got in, got I started getting into radio and and using turntables and mixing records and and uh, you know, in the interest of making up making my party happen, you had to know how to run speakers. Mm-hmm. So it really was just a function of like, how do we make this party work? And my sort of my skill, I didn't, I was never taught any of this stuff. I taught myself all this stuff. Right. Party work sounds like the name of something. It's a spinoff from I'm gonna Party give, City. I'm going to give that to you. You, okay. might, you might, Party work. You might need that at some point. I, I, it's <laughs> in my pocket now. Um, but yeah, we just, not, we just had to make the party work. Yeah, so right. whatever, like whatever speakers were around, you had to make it happen. And, yeah. people, and you had to make it so that you, how trifling it was or how amazing it was, you just had to make it work. Yeah. Um, so my, my, my like, process of, of doing live sound came out of that aesthetic and it's very diy it's very like i don't have any money i don't have any speakers how are we going to make a party and then so we right. just cobble it together so um i feel like that's the, that's the that's the practice that i bring to sound and vision and mm-hmm. it's like how many ways can you make this work right like we have this equipment here is the environment here are the needs how do we use what we have to make this the best possible thing and for, and to have people really enjoy themselves doing it, both as the talent who are participating in the equipment and also the audience that's that's participating in a, in a different way. Mm-hmm. You know? Production is the ultimate way to teach you to work from a place of abundance. Because yes, you can always, the, what nicer equipment gets you is less headaches and it's just simpler, but there's always a way to make sound come out, assuming the speakers aren't burst. Yeah. You just patch that cable to that thing and this adapter, like whether it's for our stuff or some of the other events that I, like mm-hmm. you can always get it there. It's just going to be, it's like ultimate problem solving and like looking at what's in front of us and how do we piece this together to create something that it might not be the perfect thing, but the perfect thing is just whatever it is. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's a, the problem solving is a really key component yeah. and it's, it's just a critical thinking skill and, and, uh, how, yeah, like it's it's a it's also it's like you're considering the entire environment when you're doing it too. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, how do I use my skills to make this work for everybody here? Mm-hmm. You know, like one little one little connection can make the difference as to whether people enjoy themselves or not. So, mm-hmm. how do you make how are you conscious of every single thing in the chain that's going to make this sound happen? So, I, that's a that's a fun part for me and something that I bring to free write sound and vision mm-hmm. and a way that I teach and encourage young people to to like engage with the with the with the equipment and the and the purpose of of what we do. So, what was the moment that you, or not maybe it wasn't a moment, but what was the process of you saying, "Oh, I want to bring this work and this expertise and connect to this transformational experience you've had." coming out of the critical resistance tradition into, you know, this abolitionist space inside of a juvenile detention center? Uh, well, it's many moments, but... Um, I prefer I, one, please. Okay, <laughs> here's, so here, here's, here's one. Here's I'm one. Kidding, I'm kidding. So, well, I mean, it takes, like, in order to, to influence recidivism, a young person needs supported for a long period of time after they actually are leaving detention, mm-hmm. right, or jail. Mm-hmm. Um you know, they'll often you'll often hear like it's about seven years before you're actually out of the, out of the cycle of, hmm. of incarceration because of probation, because of police knowing you, because of uh, other environment our environmental factors that you might be put back in after you leave. Mm-hmm. Um, economic factors clearly, like you know, recidivism is influenced mostly by whether you're getting paid or not, and if you got to go back to doing something or you got to get into something that's going to jeopardize your your freedom just to survive, then you're going to do it, you mm-hmm. know? Right. Um, so I guess like meet, you know, 
encountering more young people on the outside and then being like, I need work. <laughs> and me being like, okay, well, like, you know, I'm, I, I, initially I'm just like, well, I'm just a reading teacher. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I, and I'll, also, like, I had to, sh- like, they encouraged me to shift my focus from inside to, uh, more continuity mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. young people from the in to the out mm-hmm. and seeing the permeability of our programming through those walls and not having to be something that's confined. Right. So, um, I just started to re- started to just like we did inside and responded to the responding to their specific needs right. and their specific interests. Sound and vision is a response to their specific needs and specific interests on the mm-hmm. outside, mm-hmm. you know, for the purpose of keeping them um, out of that system from returning into that system, and also like building bridges to the industry into further education. Not to not to have to ring the the Grace Lee Boggs bell that we do every show, but that's a perfect example of like what we're always saying. But like your framework, your understanding, your theory has to be born out of like the needs and movements of the people who you're working with rather than like how do we write our mission and then apply that. Right. It's like, no, that has to be able to shift to shift with your understanding and the like evolving needs of the people who you're supposedly providing resources and opportunities right. for. And that's a huge problem within nonprofit yeah. culture and mm-hmm. just like white savior culture of mm-hmm. like, oh, I have this great idea. I'm going to drop it on these people's heads and then. Mm-hmm then that's going to be what it is. If they right. get down with it, they do, they do or they don't. But I've never thought like that. It's always been, it's everything is, has that one-on-one tutoring relationship ethos. Like we're sitting across from the table from each other. I have these skills. You have those skills. Here's a goal that we have. Let's figure out how to do it. So I want to stay, we don't talk about, you said this a couple of weeks ago, Dane, we don't talk about money enough. Um, how do you, not even frame this in front of me, but is there a particular question or like direction that the people who are thinking about giving you money sometimes go that you wish they didn't i think there's a fetishization of uh people who are incarcerated (laughs) and i think that people with money often think that um by giving to us that they are satisfying some suffering that is contingent upon the incarceration of this person. So they don't, they don't, they just try to, they, they often try to treat the symptom rather than, than, than the actual ailment, which mm-hmm. would be the system itself and the inequity yeah. in the, in the society. So I feel like that's one mistake that often happens. Um, but I also like, there's just a whole new, you know, we're, we're mostly, we're, we're, we're mostly funded through foundations, you know, like mm-hmm. we get some, we have some individual donors and foundations and a little bit of corporate stuff. Mm-hmm. For, particularly for Sound and Vision. There's like a <laughs> lot of like sponsorships and some other giving that's happening for Sound and Vision. But we're there's like a new a new funding landscape that I'm 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 experiencing. And you all had Tempest mm-hmm. um, on the sh- on the show here maybe a week ago or two weeks mm-hmm. ago. Um, you know, folks like Tempest who are in a position of a program officer with the Field Foundation uh, and Tracy Hall at Joyce. Um, there's just like a there's a there's a different way of understanding how funding can happen as a partnership, mm-hmm. uh, rather than like a rather than philanthropy. You know, right, philanthropy right. In, in and of itself is a very patriarchal, capitalist, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, guilt driven idea. And organizations that receive philanthropy often function in those same ways mm-hmm. too. So we're ne- I'm not interested in that like I'm not interested in in guilt money or blood money or right. yeah. actually I'll uh, we'll we'll take any money and we'll do what we need to do with it in order to make it in order But you're not going to let it, it right. be their carbon offset basically No absolutely like, you're not, not. no we're hook. not you're, we're not going to make you feel better because of because <laughs> you, you're not done just cuz you gave us wrote us a check yeah. um, <laughs> so having like developing partnerships with funders has been something that is important to me and I think that it's it's relevant to the to the f- entire field of of 
community-based arts programming that's that isn't sort of like in the nonprofit sector yeah. but mm-hmm. the nonprofit industrial complex is as disgusting as the prison industrial complex hmm. or the military industrial complex yeah. so like it's all like it's all a function of the same kind of capitalism so yeah. hmm. i feel like i make try to make that clear with our funding partners and challenge people to be partners you know mm-hmm. not just right. to, not just to you know drop the dime and walk away and mm-hmm. think that they're doing the work yeah and i think people miss that like i think people think it's like just a cute thing to say or just and I don't know who what people I'm talking about, <laughs> but in general, people either think it's a cute thing to say or kind of dismiss or overlook the real harm and in interconnection of the nonprofit industrial complex mm-hmm. with the more explicitly militaristic prison and military military industrial complex. Mm-hmm. But like, like let's just talk about like neoliberalism and why we say these moneyed institutions are an issue uh, because it was the divestment from the public and from social needs and resources. And like giving those resources to the market and to private capital and to corporations that caused the lack and scarcity that produced the the rise in the demand for prisons, right? The idea was we're going to cut away mental health, we're going to cut away welfare, we're going to cut away employment programs. And now there is this organized abandonment. Mm-hmm. And what comes from that is like, okay, instead of fixing that problem, we're going to incarcerate that problem. Mm-hmm. And then the way that we are then told you know, from a conservative, like, viewpoint, the way that these issues should be addressed is not through collective action via any type of state participation. It should be done through corporations. And, like, nonprofits are corporations. Yes. Right. And so you then do not have to give your money to a tax base to fund schools or other public goods. You can give your money to any corporation you want, and we believe that that corporation is going to do a better job of meeting the needs of the people, and that's what nonprofits are. Right. And, like, it is explicitly a part of a global warfare system. Uh, so, yeah, that was just a little... And a function yeah, of, it's a function of colonialism. Like, right. Uh, you know, like it's... Um, Missionary type. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, I think I think now is the time for gas. I think I'm going to gas you up. All right. With some gas. Uh, so, Ryan, I, 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 thank you for coming up here. We're not, like, quite done, but we're, we're getting close to wrapping up. Uh, but I just really was excited. You asked why I want to have you on and kiss you can maybe throw on yourself but i was really excited about the possibility one because i think f- the work of free right is so historically important and needs to be documented but as i've gotten to know you over the last couple of years i really appreciate and respect and admire the way you operate and i think you name some of your attentions of like how you move in space and how you access privilege uh and i see you do it very well um and i think the results are so evident specifically like and what, how I saw a free right, you know, the sound and vision operate. Uh, so I'm, I'm really grateful for the, like, the example that you set and um, the lineage that, that free right is really helping to expand but also build. Um, and then also something that I just realized maybe like six to nine months ago, and maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that um, the first sound system that the Let's Breathe Collective had, you gave us. Yeah. And I didn't yeah, put that together. Is that the one on the, the spe- dolly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, oh my so for those who don't like, you know. That's, that's sound, those are some origins of Sound of Vision yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so, it had all kinds of problems. We'd love if you would go take a look at this. <laughs> hey. So, you know, for those who don't know, like, you know, probably the last brief collective. The wire. You know. We've been, been around since 2014. And our whole model is, you know, cooperation and collectivity. And so, like, 95% of the resources we have have not come from, like, any intentional fundraiser or purchase. It is usually from our community agreeing with the work that we say we want to do Mm -hmm. and like showing up to support. So it was actually our first major protest 
uh, the Black Friday, we called it Brown Friday in 2014, uh, that you showed up in college. was like, yeah, y'all can have it. <laughs> um, and I remember at the time, I was like, man, Elgin brought a tall white guy that was super cool. And then like I started to Oh, meet yeah, because we, we met outside of Evil Olive. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. There, yeah. yeah, there was yeah. all kinds of I, I, there was yeah. all kinds of transactions. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. But that whole relationship came out of a... Uh, what do you mean all kinds of transactions? <laughs> just transactional nature uh, of uh, of equipment. <laughs> yeah, like, to, mostly to, just yeah, like logistics, like, like, like meet, meet us here uh, with, okay. the, with the stuff yeah, yeah. and this is where we'll be. Like yeah, yeah. State Street, uh, <laughs> stayed, in, stayed in Wabash yeah. at, at 11 a.m. Mm-hmm. because that's when we're going to start getting loud. So... But yeah, like that came out of the the, the work in Ferguson, right? That. And so and so I'm just I'm just really grateful because as I tell the history of our organization hmm. and definitely for the first year, like that sound system was the only tangible resource we had, right? Like we were just right. a bunch of relationships, a name, an idea that was in response to something. Uh, but what we really had to offer is like, hey, we got this sound system. We're, we're down to like bring this to an action or protest, or we're down to like start one and you can join us with it. And it was really the shift of using that tool. Um, when we started doing work in North Lawndale of like how we got to our model now. And so when I tell the story of like we used the sound mm-hmm. system that we would chant from mm-hmm. to then play cookout music and use as a traveling open mic throughout these neighborhoods mm-hmm. near Douglas Park and North Lawndale. Um, and that is the model of how we became more communally facing and proactive in our abolition as opposed to strictly being responsive or reactive. Uh, and so like symbolically- I love, I love hearing this because, yeah. I, I, you know, we haven't really talked about the impact that it had. I know that it, I know that it was there and that it was something that- It was that so was significant. I'm pretty sure it's still up on the second floor and breathing room in our storage. Cool. And cool. on a Good. personal level, yeah. the first time that, so as any, we're, we're well-known college alumni. <laughs> we, we went to college together, but we weren't really doing things- yeah, This is before Eric Together, Gun. yeah. But before we had the radio show, there were, I can't even really remember what the specific- It was the was. the Baltimore Solidarity Rally for Freddie Gray. Mm, that's what coming it was. from the CPD. We went to University of Chicago. But we, uh, Damon, Damon was obviously there, and <laughs> I found myself there too. And I don't even remember how, but someone was pulling the, it's like, so it's like a, a single PA with a little preamp and then a mic, and it's on a dolly, so it can be pulled and wheeled. Yep. And uh, I ended up just kind of like walking next to you, pulling this thing for Yeah, it was hours. a big part of our, what, what happened was is that I was leading the chant and pushing it and you kind of just walked up and like just took it from me because it's like really hard and because most of these things we were doing were in the cold mm-hmm. unfortunately yeah <laughs> and so like the holding the microphone trying to project voice trying to listen to all the like marshalling that's happening Carry while, the thing while carrying you. this thing uh and you just kind of came up and took it I was like oh what's up man and, and like that was like a very real moment of like oh yeah we're showing up together like there's we, a very blurry picture of us that uh, that we'll put up on the on the go <laughs> twitter but uh yeah so on a, just a personal note thanks for the speaker <laughs> Otherwise, no uh, doubt, no this doubt. This podcast I, probably wouldn't exist. Yeah, well, it's I, very significant. Well, I love hearing hearing how the these uh, hearing how it has legs. You know, mm-hmm. like hearing how like because because you know like that happened. I knew it was happening, but I wasn't there to see it. Hmm. And I I love like this is exactly how things get built, right? Yeah, like yeah. something like one thing happens, people galvanize around it, and mm-hmm. then all these relationships come out of it, yep. and this 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 movement comes out of it, right? Mm-hmm. So I just love I love that that's that. There's a story connected hmm. to because because that's what music is and that's what that's yeah. what this is about. Like this yeah. is about music is about connecting people. Sound is about connecting people, and that you know that little technical skill that I have and that that you know like free write sound of vision folks have like it's just so important to understand it as a community building activity and not just like this, yeah. not just like oh we need a speaker for this thing. Yeah. You know? and and like you know I don't want to like overplay or overgas, but at least symbolically, right? Like. The way the way I can tell the narrative, like that speaker got us a building, mm-hmm. you know, and like that that is like really huge. And so now, 
as we were doing that work and as like even we felt limited with the speaker of like oh we're trying to show up on people's block and talk about the police when they have a whole different experience with police than trying to like organize something for another generation mm-hmm. uh, um, one of the biggest dreams we've had in, in our history was like oh what would it look like to be able to offer free studio time as the first point of engagement and entry as a way to create more accessibility into yeah. this abolitionist movement yep. and so to have um for us to then continue that relationship, to be able to exchange resources um, and employ formerly incarcerated young people within an abolitionist organization to build an abolitionist studio. It's just, it's very, I'm getting kind of like, you know, emotional about it, but it's really beautiful to like connect all those dots. So what else are you trying to make? Let's see what else Ryan's got. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're trying to, we're like dreaming to like hold $20 and we just really hope you can come (laughs) show up and use your privilege. (laughs) I mean, maybe I can make it rain like that. I don't know. <laughs> no, but sincerely though, I, I, you know, thank you very much. Uh, sure, for, for all of that and showing. Thanks for sharing that story do. and and for we really just haven't had a chance to chop it up like yeah. that about about the work that we've done together yeah, recently. So I appreciate hearing yeah, that. It's beautiful. <laughs> so here's a a little bit of a side note question because you mentioned the uh, the aforementioned making of it raining. Um, you like so you DJ in the world and in like the capital C club sometimes, correct? True. <laughs> what do you like about the Capital C Club? I'm just sen- sensing some assumptions about what the Capital C Club is. Yeah, yeah, you. no, like, I what? have hard assumptions. Yeah, but it's mostly <laughs> just projection. But yeah, yeah. So what? What? What is the Capital C Club for you? I think it's your term. So what? <laughs> well, you. Re- I think, I think <laughs> it's comp- compared to like when you say like the Capital C Church. So what the church uh, is? Yeah. As a, well, like so as I, I mean, I don't find. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, I guess the 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 level of participation for my DJing is is. Uh, very much on my terms. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm a I'm a like an underground DJ to begin with. And okay. that's something that is important to me mm-hmm. it, it, as an ethos. That doesn't necessarily mean that I'm gonna be um I, I want I wanna get paid for my work and I want right. it to be and I wanna be pushed to do new things. So I guess, you know, the club is a place uh where I find myself doing what I do and other people liking it <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. and of course there being interaction and stuff like i you know i've been doing a lot of like you know I, my roots are in in like you know like club club like 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 warehouse situations mm-hmm. and underground dance party kind of scenarios it's capital like, c capital l capital u capital yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know places like smart bar has been like mm-hmm. that's been my like as far as like doing dance music, that was mm. that's that is like kind of been home base for a long time. Mm. And, and since I've moved into into more of an open format and been able to explore other uh, avenues of music that I've always collected, but never really had an opportunity to present publicly, I find other places where that is accepted and, and, mm. and encouraged. So, um, you know, the kind of like quote no requests kind of place, like that kind of place, but also there's always requests and you're always interacting with, with the audience and stuff like that. So I don't know. It feels good to, it feels good to have the opportunity to just be, to, to, to evolve as a DJ and as a selector and, and to interact with, with people in a way that, that is on my terms, but also is like something that most everyone can enjoy. And if they don't enjoy it and they tell me, then I'll be like, this, I'm doing me. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm not like a wedding DJ or trying to do something you know like i don't have a residency in river north every friday night which <laughs> is just terrifying yeah, prospect yeah, so yeah. i still do it on my terms so yeah that's a beautiful thing it's to still be a, able it's to still do. a small c club for me uh, mm. uh, is there anything from your work inside jtdc that has informed the way you dj oh so much 
So much music selection, first of all, like, you know, like, like I said, that we create an artistic community in, in, in our classroom in the detention center. That means that we're all learning from each other. Playing so, a lot more Lilfo. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, like you can, I have I, heard, you know, I've like, we, we, it's a cultural exchange mm -hmm. in that classroom. So I'm getting, I'm getting stuff from young people and yeah. they're playing music that is like, I'm like, that's amazing. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. and, that, and they're like, this, my cousin. <laughs> so you know like like yeah. it's it's yeah def definitely like i mean just like curatorially am i am hmm. i learning a lot mm -hmm. about what's happening in youth culture and like black yeah. youth culture particularly because like you know it's not just about you know i'm i'm playing black i'm often playing black music when i'm when i'm djing mm. and um and that's i mean uh, it's music it's music that i love and it's also more of a connection to a culture to cultures around the world that i feel like even like come you know like from that cornfield indiana place like i'm still trying to connect to people who are not hmm. like me you mm -hmm. know like or her, or who have a different experience from me at the very core so i'm playing i don't know i just i find myself playing a lot of like of like recently especially like nigerian and and music from ghana and brazil and uh I don't know, like just very, you know, like like African diaspora related music. So like that cult, that that curatorial exchange in my classroom with fourteen year olds who are coming up with these with these with these artists that are brand new. Um, you know, they're turning me on to things that that you know people other people hear about like three years later. Hmm. You know, I remember remember hearing like about Nicki Minaj. You know, like <laughs> from this young woman that I was working with, and you know, she came out on the radio like two years later. You know, like okay. Yeah. You know, just that kind of thing. So, and of course, like, um, I bring, I like, I bring skills and technique and they also have skills and technique that they apply to like what they learn from our sort of workshops and the, the way that we encourage them to use the tools. And once they take those, once they practice a little bit, they start unlocking features and, and like developing skills that, that are different than what the way that I develop, right? Them. They play the instrument differently. Yeah, so know? they they just get it. They get the tool and they and they use the tool how they use it. So hmm. that cultural exchange is really important too. Not just what the songs are, but how they're being understood and what fits together and how to how to even like use them as a canvas. That's yeah, beautiful. and how they're how they're using their mind and their fingers to mm. to interact with this music. Like that's you know, that's that's an exchange that we have too. Because I'm I'm offering that from myself from my perspective, and then they're flipping it. And being like, this is how we do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we, we opened up and we started getting deep before we really uh, uncovered the story. But now we've we've the light is shining. And but you started with being in a place of reflection and kind of like named the need or the desire or the responsibility to transition. And so now that we've kind of unpacked a little bit more of what that could look like, uh, can we just revisit that idea sure. of, of that's where you are in this self-reflection and what the transition is looking like for you? In if your you're versions? in the middle of a blend, what's the next song? Ah. Wow. Uh, I don't know if I can extend that metaphor. Let me, <laughs> let, me see if I can no. get, let me see if I can get to it. Yeah. Uh, I like the idea of the responsibility to transition because mm -hmm. you know, like, that's what it is. It, that's exactly what it feels like. Um, and opportunities like this, you know, like the opportunity to speak about this and to like have a connection to something that happened, you know, like just in that conversation mm -hmm. we just had about like sort of the the, the trajectory of this of the sound system, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, this is important for me because I need mm -hmm. I, I'm like I need I just need to take stock personally. Mm -hmm. I need to slow down. I need to take stock, and that is going to be uh, that is going to be help, like 
furthered along by having conversations in this way. One, putting the work out there publicly. Like I want the work, I want the, I want the profile of this work to increase because it's been so like head down, mm-hmm. yeah. incarcerated work. You know, mm-hmm. it's been literally like behind the walls kind of work. Yeah. And that was my that's that's how I work. Like I'm good behind the scenes like that, which is why I've Sound of Vision is a production company, yeah. and you know, like we're good. At, we're good with making things happen without people knowing that it's happening, right? right. Hmm. So, part of my work now is to, is to tell the people and to not only like share the work so that other people know, but also use it as an opportunity for myself to like look deeper into my experience and be honest with myself about what has happened because hmm. I just never, you know, it's been from move from this to this to this to this to this for twenty years. Yeah, but that mm-hmm. point of the pullback. And the like understanding not just what you've done, but what are the like the many, many, many stories that are similar to that sound system yeah. getting passed down. Have there been any other ones in this moment of reflection or just in general, how has it felt to do that? Is it something that was uncomfortable at first? No, well, I mean, another this has been unlocked. This this like mindset has been unlocked by engaging with alumni. A couple of young people that we're working with now who I knew when they were in the detention center when they were 15, 16, 17. And knew them in t- like pretty for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And they did a ton, ton of stuff with us in there. And now seeing them like as 20, 25 year olds and, and like 19 year olds and like, you know, they got families, they got responsibilities, they're, they're doing great work with us. They all also have other lives. Like mm-hmm. uh, those are the stories that, that really encourage me to, to see this long, see this process longitudinally. Yeah. Um, I just want to, I want to feel the full breadth breadth of hmm. this experience like i want to understand like how broad it is how deep it is how tall it is and how far it's going to go mm-hmm. yeah um at least you know at least as, as much as i can perceive humanly yeah. <laughs> think about it on all those like physical spiritual and emotional levels uh as it exists currently and also like try to tap into like sort of like the the future orientation of the of, of the of the energy that's been put forth yeah, and i think one like future projection that has been named in this conversation and uh, you know widely is the, the the realization that that place should not exist right? yes that it is that its existence is inherently harmful yes um and so i just kind of want to like as we are winding down pull out kind of where we are from your perspective on that that vision because i believe we started we did a couple actions outside the jcdc a lot with mm-hmm. um students from village leadership academy mm-hmm. and i remember miriam miriam Kappa spoke at one of them and it was news to me that at that time i don't know if it was geographic space or occupancy uh that jcdc is the largest juvenile detention center in america it's the, its footprint is the largest it's not currently the most populous right. it was when i first started but that has changed. but that has that has dwindled yeah like hmm. like four four like right it's like it was like four times as many oh yeah ago, yeah right? it was like i remember it was like 680 kids when, when in like 1999 and now it's like 200 yeah to 220 on average mm-hmm. and for point, those but, for the those not in chicago or those who just don't know like the physical building is so imposing and enormous and it's like five blocks away to one side is cook county Mm -hmm. uh jail and then like two blocks to the other direction is the fbi building and there's like nothing in between Mm -hmm. and it's just like is like this it feels like a behemoth that just like suck you can feel when you drive by at least i do it just like sucks all of the like the air out of the air (laughs) you know it does it does it 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 is uh it's it's a vacuum and it's it, it's ravenous for for breath shall yeah. we say like it, i always joke that like 
the air is the same in that building as it was when it was built. Because <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> it just feels like that. It's just yeah, some stale, stale stuff. Stale. Well, from a production standpoint, maybe just build an HVAC system. <laughs> I mean, out. you know, get somebody's <laughs> drunk cousin's <laughs> uncle of, a, of an alderman to there like contract go. with them and you got it. You know? <laughs> and so uh, how how long is the duration that, that uh, a young person on, on average or mean, would you say? Are they, they, they in there for months, years? Yeah, it, it depends. Like they'll tell you that They'll tell you, like, they get this question a lot, and mm-hmm. they'll tell you that it's about 20, 28 days, mm-hmm. um, and there are different categories of char- of youth in there. Some some are charged as, as adults, right. um, and some are, are charged as juveniles, and that dictates, like, the that duration the of their statistics. stay. But also, like, if you look at, if you look at a juvenile or someone who, a, a young person who's charged as a juvenile, they're going to come in, and they're going to get that experience. They might be there for three days. They might be there for three weeks. But they're going to come back. Mm-hmm. So there's a cumulative effect. Mm-hmm. Really, their incarceration begins the first time they come in and ends whenever they stop coming in, mm-hmm. if they ever stop. Because mm-hmm. a lot of them come in, get that experience, they get dressed out, and they're like, "Damn, I'm a criminal." Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, then they're put out back into the exact same environment under court supervision. Mm-hmm. Their school doesn't want them back. Their community is, are, right. sees them as somebody who just got back from jail. The cops know know their names. Right. They're kids, so they don't have any. Uh, any mobility really like mm-hmm. a, so they're really just stuck in the same spot so mm-hmm. the, it's 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 deceiving to think that an average day is 28 days when really just that's you know like that point of contact kicks off years worth of experience with that with that sort of carceral uh, system do you have any like closing things you you think need to be said or things that are in your spirit uh about this work and about this space because i don't want to ask the like, where do you find hope? Because like, fuck hope. But nah, you're right. Um, <laughs> Shout out to all the hope. Like, yeah, white sound guys. <laughs> fuck hope. <laughs> let's just fuck re- let's cool just recap here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Let's just recap here. Um, no, nah, I don't really have anything. I mean, right. I'm I'm a uh, I'm out there at this point. Word. You know, like we're we, we've said a lot, and yeah. I I, I kind of even want to listen back and see what actually cool. happened today. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to encourage people to to engage with Free Write. Please. Um, you know, freewritechicago.org is the is the website. Um, Free Write Sound and Vision is uh, fwsoundvision.com, and we are available for hire for events, mm-hmm. uh, all kinds of events, panel discussions, parties, backyard stuff professional stuff like we work at venues across the city that are of all scales and uh, we can do just as well at your quinceanera as we can at navy pier so um we got you if you need anything you think about what a tagline right quinceaneras (laughs) to navy pier we got it all i mean and maybe a quinceanera navy pier like we got Uh, that too here's a fun Um, fact that it's a deep an ergo deep cut rick wilson the emerging hip-hop star Used to choreograph quinceañeras. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> nice. I just wanted you to know that. I think the world should know that's that. The, that's the like quote something you can fall yeah. back on. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's plan B. You gotta back up. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I just want to. I just want people to engage with free ride. I want people to know my colleagues, uh, Elgin Bokari. Been on the show, uh, yeah. Great, Matilda De Dios, uh, Rajo Banera Guard, uh, Alexandra Antoine. Uh, Cortez and Walter Shout and Mariella and uh, and Marshawn and Hakeem and Jaron and all the alumni that are in our orbit right now. Uh, we love you and you're hurry up and take my job. Um, Is there any more publications coming out? Oh yeah, we do have it actually. So yeah, uh, Damon's pointing at a copy of uh, our most recent anthology of student work uh, that's called Evidence. 
Um, we've been working on this. This is here's a little something that I want to just mention. We've been working on this strategy that is really just a rearticulation of a strategy that we've been doing for a long time. That is based in uh, sort of like the the uh, a teacher assessment strategy of portfolios. Mm-hmm. You know, you can do tests and quizzes and portfolios is just a different way of of assessing student learning, right? Mm-hmm. So out of those portfolios come the opportunity for students to get to collect their work, uh, offer sta- artist statements and get peer critiques and have there be, you know, like uh, teaching teacher assessment documents in there and other narrative pieces. Um, but over time, some of these pe- some of these portfolios have made it into the courtroom for these young people and mm-hmm. have have had positive effects on um, on the outcomes of their court proceedings. Mm-hmm. So this strat this strategy in in legal terms is known as mitigation. Mm-hmm. Um, so this mit- this mitigation strategy as it as it mitigation strategy for arts educators is kind of an, the way that I've been talking about it. Um, Matilda has a particular approach to it as she has done mitigation around death penalty cases because mm-hmm. mitigation is often done for capital capital death penalty cases. Mm-hmm. Um, so just as we put this put this work out, and these publications come out like this. This is stuff that we want to have positively influenced outcomes for young people. And the next anthology, that's why this one was called Evidence. And mm-hmm. there's a whole uh, introduction by Reginald Dwayne Betts about how mm-hmm. these stories are really Somewhere. what people need to understand in order to flesh out just that one. And the one thing that's being discussed in that courtroom doesn't take into account anything else about this person's life. Um, but yeah, we are going to publish a, a new anthology uh, that will be coming out for June. We have an exhibition of student work that we'll be uh, putting up at Chicago Art Department, cool. our close partners and and our home base at Chicago Art Department mm-hmm. in Pilsen. Shout out. Uh, no doubt. And uh, then we'll also be feeding that into the Envisioning Justice uh, Initiative uh, group show that's happening at Sullivan Galleries in, in August. Mm-hmm. So there'll be a new, free right. We'll have a new anthology of, stu- of work done by our students in the detention center uh, in Cook County Jail because we've expanded to working with, with mm. that continuum of engagement uh, seeing our former students in Cook County Jail as they're sitting there rotting, waiting for their case to be heard. Um, and also some other like regional uh, strategies that we've been employing with uh, some a group in Marshall, Michigan, uh, hmm. in a group home there, and also some elementary school students there. So we've we'll, the anthology will be a collection of some of the recent a lot of this recent work that we've been doing over the past two years since this previous one was released. So you'll be able to get that. You'll be able to see these exhibitions uh, in June at Chicago Art Department and in August at uh, Sullivan Galleries with all the other envisioning justice um, groups. And um, yeah, that's a mouthful. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. It's, it's it's a excited, lot. I'm <laughs> to see. Next up, I think we should play it's the time, game. I love it. playing this game with DJs because it's always uh, fascinating. So this is this is uh, some real symmetry here. We started with my ultimate beef, and we're gonna end right where we started. So we talked about abolition. We we went to your story, but now it's time to do the real work that we do here at Ergo and it's centered around accountability and every week we invite our guests to join us in this crusade so there is a sect of the world that I believe has run amok and we shall stand for it no more and that sect is R&B singers okay so every week wow, you took you're, that ready, you're ready to go <laughs> <laughs> so every week we invite our guests to start beef with an R&B singer and why I have so much love for so many so many R and B singers right now, and that's uh, why the game exists because it's important that you you we hold that space sacred. Our beef is not with R and B. Our beef is with R and B. Okay, singers. here's 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 uh I'm gonna put out put some business out here that's good, that that, that, that maybe uh will hopefully feed back into a positive way for for right. for free right as an organization. Yeah, all right. So uh, 
and this is this is also local and relevant. Okay. So I want to I want to start beef with with Jeremiah. Ah. Because Jeremiah was in the in the juvenile detention center, got out, and then birthday sex happened. Mm. So I want to know where Jeremiah is as it re- as it relates to issues of youth incarceration mm. and issues of giving back to the situation. Uh, Did you interact with him? No, I didn't. I okay. didn't know him. Uh, one of my colleagues. At, like after, like, I, I think it was a brief stay for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one of my colleagues was like, yeah, he was just here. Um, and also, I mean, you mean she, Jeremy? She, yeah, you, Jeremy, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I mean, let's, we, we could extend this to, to, you know, the chief Keith camp too, cause mm-hmm. he was there, uh, as well. Um, hmm. but, uh, let's just say Jeremiah in particular, like it's time to give back to some arts education and some, some, uh, you know, it's like, like, like get, like get some of these young folks into the industry or give Mm -hmm. them opportunities to, to relate to the industry in a new way. So Jeremiah, like, where are you you as it relates to this issue? This is something that I know personally affected you. Um, when are you going to come back and make and, and, and pull some, some of these other talented young people Mm -hmm. who are in this shitty situation Mm. and bring them, bring them along, or at least make, make space. You don't have to, you don't have to like, you know, like put them up in your house, but you just, how do you make space for the next, the next like round of young folks who are stuck in that scenario, Mm. who are just almost on the verge of being able to do something brilliant. Mm -hmm. So where are you, Jeremiah? That's a quality it's a quality RB beef. beef right there. Yeah. How, Jeremiah, how can you make room for their personal birthday sex song? <laughs> like, open that door. Yeah, like, them, everybody's got a birthday sex song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, doesn't yeah. have to say birthday sex, yeah, but yeah. it's something that's going to come out of some uh, some previous, like, a previous immediate hardship. Some, like, great success can come out of that if people make yeah. space for it. He was given a break. Somebody gave him a break. Yeah. Somebody had him, like, he, had, he was plugged into somebody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That didn't just happen. Yeah, open up. This seems doable. I yeah. feel like there's a, first of all, I'm pulling up uh, Jeremiah's email right now. Let's see. Uh, it's just for the mailing list. I feel like if you send an email to Jeremiah's camp, there, there would at least be an exchange. So there's your I had, positive. I really hadn't thought about that. So Let, we're, there we go. let's chop this audio up and see if we can get it pushed to Jeremiah's. Well, let's see what yeah, happens. RBB. Thank you for, for initiating. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Ryan, for being so generous with your time and your thoughts and your energy and coming through and being part of the show. I'm a huge fan of the show, and oh, I've listened to it a lot and really think that you all are, are filling a, a, a void culturally and connecting with a lot of great people. So thanks thanks for your work. Appreciate and I'm that. also a fan of the format. Like, I'm, I'm a nerd like this. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the deep dives are here. Appreciate you. Um, we'll be back next week showcasing and celebrating the folks reshaping the culture of our city. Much love to the people. Peace. Peace. Don't you just hate parties? I do. You know, everybody's trying to be awkward. Everybody's trying to look good. Let's let's break the ice a little bit. Let's play some games. There are five hilarious party games you can play as part of the Jackbox Party Pack 5. It's now available on Xbox One, PS4, Nintendo Switch, Steam, and more. You can play games like You Don't Know Jack, Full Stream, Split the Room, Madverse City, Patently Stupid, and Zeeple Dome. Mm-hmm. That's right, Zeeple Dome. Mm-hmm. With friends this weekend. Let's break this ice. You can visit jackboxgames.com for more info. Yeah.